Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're shit at editing. Okay. You're shit at the podcast. Yep, that's good. And you're just generally hopeless as a person. I think I can do this now. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever. My name is Joe McIntyre, the big dog of Time Out London, and you're listening to Love Thy Neighbourhood, Winter Moon. The podcast in which someone who is a salt of the earth, Diamond Geezer, shows me a toe rag around part of London that means a lot to them. One area, four venues to which they would give their own five-star rating to, if they could. But they can't because that's what we do at Time Out. When we like something, we grab the editorial shooter and we load it full of gold-tipped shells, I guess. I don't know anything about guns. Shells of knowledge and blast five star-shaped holes in the side of the venue, not to hurt anyone, but just to send a message. And today, we're not in the East End, although this is famously, I think, where the craze learned to box in some godless basement. It's Fitzrovia. Uh, a pretty amazing place, just north of Oxford Street. This was the field beyond Tyburn until it was developed. And then after that became known as a haven for poets, writers, decadent people. If you couldn't afford to live in Soho, you made a home for yourself in Fitzrovia. Tons of original pint men, the proto-pint men of London drank here. Dylan Thomas, Charles Dickens, I think, George Orwell. In fact, the area is named after the famous Fitzroy Tavern by Fitzroy Square as well. There aren't many neighborhoods named after pubs, but this fittingly is one of them. And the person who brings me here today, it's the incredible, mercurial Paul Foote. Possibly every comedian's favorite comedian, you would say he's been touring and doing shows for decades and he's incredible, like a very unique character. His most recent show, Dissolve, is about to start touring around the rest of the UK and it's going absolutely everywhere. I saw it, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I don't want to go into what it's about because I feel like the substance of it will come up in today's episode. He sort of has an epiphanic moment uh, which changes him forever. Not in a sort of humorous, ironic way, in a very serious way. We've just arrived at our first location and it's a lovely, sunny, crisp, late winter day. Is it, is it winter? I think we're sort of into spring, are we? I don't know, but it's a lovely day. Uh, so let's go and say hi. Mr. Paul Foote, where are we and why have you brought me here? Well, we're starting here in Cavendish Square, which is very near to Oxford Circus. So today, we're going to be walking all around one of my favourite places, Fitzrovia. It's also uh, one of my favourite places. It's that bit that's north of Soho, and it's, no one's ever heard of it. You know, no. it's, it's one of those undiscovered bits of London. What drew you to it? What made you choose it? Well, I've got a lot of, um, quite a few links with Fitzrovia. Uh, this is sort of where everything started for me because when I left university, I had a job 
briefly. It was only a very short time. I was only there for really 18 months. Was that your, up to this point... Only job. Only real job. So I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But that was, had a big, it was quite influential, even though it was only a short time I worked there, for me and my former boss. Okay. We both had a big sort of influence on each other. And uh, also I've done lots and lots of shows around this area which we'll talk about yes. in, in a particular place where I've done so many shows. And, but at the moment we're in Cavendish Square, which it just I haven't been here for a few years. Actually. Has it changed at all since the last time? No, it's exactly the same. It reminds mm. me of, you know, it reminds me of you know, when I just left university and I had this job and maybe I'd come here sometimes with my lunch break and eat a sandwich. And I'd think to myself, oh, I'm getting paid for the, by the hour. This is nice, you know, I'm getting some money. You know? It is a rush. Is a rush. The rush of professionalism. And I used to, and it's because it's just around the back of John Lewis, and I used to think, oh, maybe one day I'll be able to afford to buy a pillowcase from John Lewis or something, like a really high thread count. And I'd sort of dream of, of having successes here. And uh, they were tough times, really. Did your imagination allow you to dream of anything bigger than the pillowcase at the time? Well, yeah, I would also dream of travel. I'd think, oh, you know, maybe I'd see a plane passing just over sort of just, you know, as it came, comes in over central London. And I think maybe one day I'll be able to travel a lot. Of course, I have now do a lot of travelling mm. all over the world. So it was a place where I sort of was in my early 20s and would dream of uh, what would happen later in my life. Are you purposefully not saying what the job was at this point? It's quite elusive. Well, I can tell you it was a recruitment agency. Right. Although that's sort of irrelevant. <laughs> because, in a way, basically what happened is... I'd left university and then I obviously wanted to get a job. Yes. Because I needed a bit of money. You know, yeah. it was just a, I was just going around. I mean, when one starts off, I remember doing my first ever show. It was very late 1995 after mm. I just left university. And I did some show in Camden or something just before Christmas. And I remember speaking to my stepfather afterwards. He said, how did it go? And I said, it went really well. And they've asked me to come back in a month's time. And he said, well, and how much did you get paid? I said, nothing. And how much are you going to get paid in a month? And he said, nothing. <laughs> he said, well, that sounds not very successful. I said, it actually is really successful. I said, the fact that they've asked me back after just one month is like amazing. Yeah. Normally you have to wait six months at this place for an open spot, as they call it. The one over there does comedy, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, so there's the, the Phoenix down there that's on it, the Phoenix. Cavendish Square. I did that for quite a few years, maybe 15 years ago, there was a new material night. Yes. And I did lots and lots of shows in there. Probably did, I don't know, 30, 40 shows down there. Blimey. And that's where one of my routines, which is about Shire Horses, which went on television, a lot of people talk about and say they, they love that routine. That's one of routine. the big ones. One Shire of, Horses is a classic. One of my big ones. Yeah. Sort of, sort of 18 minutes of talking about Shire Horses yeah. in a sort of way that seems preposterously long, just talking about <laughs> how the number of Shire Horses is going down. How, but, has, has the number levelled out now, do you think, in 2024? I think it's still going down, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, it was, it's a whole routine that brings in or goes into deviations and mm. is very sort of, I think, fairly ingenious in the way it's constructed, if I may say yeah, let's so. Let's call it what it is. And uh, that started in there, in the Phoenix. The Phoenix is the start of the Shire Horse routine. I remember it was very early stages then, the first time I remember doing it. I'd heard something on the television, it was on the breakfast news about the number of Shire Horses just going down, and I, I liked the idea. Uh, it's sort of a bit of anti-comedy in it. Yeah. The fact that it's just sort of talking about nothing important, just making something of it. But the first time I did it, I hadn't 
got it right, of course, and there was loads of other things that, that I created later. Yeah. So the whole thing was at a very early stage. And I remember going on and talking about the number of sh- oh, horses going down. People were laughing. They did laugh. They were laughing, they- but then it maybe just tried the patience a bit, didn't really go anywhere yeah. or something. And I remember some other people saying to me, I think I did it the following week as well, and maybe the week after. And some people said to me, look, you really, I think... Um, bit of advice <laughs> drop that shy horse you need thing, to move on please because this is not and i but i knew there was something in it and i kept adding little bits yes. and pieces to it you sort of rode that shy horse all the way to the sun yeah i sort of did yeah and um and then it became the, the unlike icarus though the shy horse didn't melt it carried you higher and higher well yes i i, I was gonna say i think we also just found ourselves in an office evacuation yes. it's very exciting for all these people this is a an opportunity to waste i'd say 20 minutes Doing nothing in particular. Yeah, and all having a chat. They having all a chat. Happy. Oh, yes, this definitely is a evacuation. There's a man with an orange jacket that says fire marshal on it. There we go. It was at a premier inn that had to do an evacuation at three in the morning. I mean, that's sort of the closest I've got, really, to, to the excitement of what we're seeing today. The white hot thrill. There is now a, a second person mm. with a this type. The other person had a sort of orange. Yes. It was sort of fluorescent orange. And this person has a fluorescent yellow. If you had to guess who was with senior and who was junior, which one? Well, I think um, the one with the fluorescent yellow is more senior. Then there's another person's turned up, as you can see in the foreground. Yes. Holding a fluorescent jacket in his hand. I think he could be very senior. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. put it on, but he knows if it comes to it, he needs to get that jacket on and assert his authority and say, hang on. Mm. We've had two fire marshals, but I am chief fire marshal. And I'm not, I'm not going to debase myself with this vest, but it's here if I need to put it on. Yeah, so that was a bit of excitement. They're going back in now. We can see the person with the yellow fluorescent and the person with the orange. Yes. Sort of talking quite amiably, the two of them, yeah. even though one of them is more senior than the other. Mm-hmm. And the one who is more junior is actually very bitter. And sort of things, you know, I, I've actually been doing this longer yes. and I should be wearing the yellow jacket. Why am I wearing the orange jacket? Yeah. In many ways, the way the, the two of them are sort of chatting, sort of making small talk, reminds me a bit of um, before the opening of Parliament, when you see the, the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition right. sort of making awkward small talk <laughs> together, sort of pretending just to be chummy and just say things like, yeah, it's been weather today. Well, yes. shall we... Uh, move on to our second location unless another evacuation happens i think we've sort of extracted yes. all of the joy from but yes from the this is this is this nice square it's and lovely. many happy memories of here so yes i'll tell you about the job yes so i went for the interview and i did we did talk about the job that he was offering and I remember just talking and saying, I'm really interested in administration. I'm, I'm fascinated by admin. <laughs> Trying to sort of, because I thought this is the way to obviously get a job. You have to pretend yes. you're interested in all this. I could see his eyes glazing over, you know. So I thought I'd just say the truth, you know. So I said to him, look, actually, I'm not really interested in your job at all, but I want to be a comedian and I, I, I need some money. I need a job. And his eyes lit up. Oh. A, because I was telling the truth and I was speaking from the heart and that was suddenly much more engaging. And B, because it's the sort of man he is, he was just like fascinated with the idea of me being a comedian and so on. So anyway, we, we kept in touch. And then um, a few, I don't know, two or three months later, he rang me and he said, okay, so have you found another a, a job? Yeah. And I said, no. And he said, oh, well, we'll have to employ you then. So 
It's hardly a glowing recommendation. It was weird because in a way I didn't want to do it because I wanted to be a comedian and there was this bit of, I think anyone who has done a, a day job when they want to, they've got another passion, will understand this, that bit of you that just wants to do the other thing right. and sort of resents the fact that you're having to spend your time doing something else. You know, after about uh, 18 months, I was sort of ready to sort of turn professional by right. then. And I said to him, I'm probably going to leave soon because I'm getting quite a bit of work. But then one time I did some drilling, but I had no experience of drilling. I bought the drill myself. We just moved to a new office just, just around the corner and I had to do this drilling and I managed to like make a complete mess of the wall and break bits in it all that made a big hole in the wall. Yeah. And I also made a, a massive hole in the front door that meant that whenever the landlord came subsequently they had to put tipex over it and hope that he wouldn't notice that I'd done major damage to the door. Anyway, so at that point I left a message saying, look, I won't charge for today's work and also I, you know, probably time I resign now. Yes. But anyway, the kind of joke is, because we've become friends and we see each other every few months, and the kind of joke is that he always says that I was sacked and I always say that I resigned. And right. We, we have great long dinners for hours on end discussing whether or not I was sacked or whether I was re resigned. But you're going on the record to say you did in fact resign even though you broke the office, smashed the door. Well, that's what I say. But then whenever I go into the office, he always says, oh, Paul, he says, and then he says, oh, you, he introduces me to all the new staff. And he says, this is Paul. He used to work here, but he was sacked. Yes. And so it's all like that. Well, maybe for him, it's like a narrative. He's hung onto it for so long. It's become true in his head. To say that he sacked Paul Foote is a better story than Paul Foote used to work here than well, he yeah, left, I suppose. We're going to go in now. Well, let's also say we've just arrived at our second location. Do you want to say where we are? Yeah, we're at the Langham Hotel. Yes. Well, I think we are. It doesn't actually say that. This, on is, the, this is the restaurant thing attached to it. But let's, let's pop inside. Yes. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. We're sat here in the wonderful restaurant of the five-star Langham it's a hotel. lovely hotel. Yes, what is it you like about this very expensive, comfortable, luxurious hotel? This was the first time, when I just started that job with Julian, I think I'd only been working like two days, but I was still invited, obviously, to the Christmas office party. And it was in one of the restaurants within this hotel, and it was ever so posh. And I'd never been in a place like that before, you know, it was all sort of like, and I kept thinking, isn't it expensive, and gosh, you know, how do people... I was just overawed by it. I was 21, I just left university. I was just like, wow. Yeah, and you were still dreaming of the pillowcases in John Lewis. Yeah, I was exactly still dreaming of that. It was all like so new to me. And there was this thing where, because it was near Christmas, it was all like roast and it was all like all sliced on a posh platter with like a gravy and they would like put a, have a, not forceps, that's what you use for- Tongs? A, yeah, yeah, forceps is really for delivering a baby. It's what you grip the baby's head with, yeah. Yes, this is tongs. I think so, yeah. Yes, which uh, you wouldn't want to use, yeah, I mean, you've got to use the right It's equipment. not a mental image I particularly want to play around with, but yes, carry on. And it may well have been forceps, because the, the, the waiter turned out to be rather clumsy. <laughs> it was really, and everyone was, it was also rarefied, everyone was sitting there saying, mushroom, 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 small talk, small talk, small talk. And then he was like, he came over, okay. And there was like food for everyone at the whole table. All like, all like these slices with all this on this platter. And then he went to put it on people's plates and then it kind of slipped off his hand. And it went all <laughs> over, there's someone who works at the office, it went all down her dress and it was just like duck, went all over the floor. It's never not funny. It was grave ever and she screamed and everyone just went, all quiet for a moment, even in that really posh place. Everyone went really quiet just for like two seconds until they realised what happened and they just went, 
just went back to nothing. <laughs> and this waiter was just immediately removed. A bit like, I would say the equivalent is, like, if there's an air traffic control mistake, even if it's not a fatal one, even, <laughs> if, it's just, even if it's just somewhere they say, look, that, should, that came too close to that, that was... That was uh, that came in. There was not enough separation between those two aircraft. Immediately, there's no questions asked. Yeah. That air traffic controller is just removed from duty. Taken out back. Taken out. Shot. Taken out. So they can be debriefed and discussed, and they can be retrained. And yeah. someone else comes in. There's no time for anyone to say, "No, no, it's all right. I can do it." No, no. You've got to be dealt with in the same way. This one was just taken away. We saw him receiving a real absolute bollocking. But it's not his fault, though, is it? It's, you know, anyone could slip, anyone could drop anything. He just happened to do it in the Langham with a load of hot gravy. I know. And then the person involved, she had to have, like, her dress. It had to be... She had to go into, like, a room and someone had to, like sponge it and then dry it with a, a hair dryer yeah. like, and it took like 20 minutes. I can imagine the smell of meat wouldn't have um, left her for a while. No, I don't think so. And yeah. also, they said to me, old, because I think a little bit went on, I had like a suit, I was wearing a suit, because it was all like a posh occasion. Yes, yeah. And a little bit went on my suit, or looked like it had, but it was probably just water or something. And they said, oh, look, we can pay for the dry cleaning. And I said, oh, don't worry, because I think it's all right. But then later that day, someone spilt beer all over the suit. <laughs> then I regretted not having, because I could have got it dry clean for free by the Langham Hotel, but Too late. I'd passed up the opportunity. Yeah, I probably would have just left the beer in it, I think, and just lived with it, you know? You know, I've still got that suit. Does it still smell of beer? No, no, I don't think so. It smells of probably mothballs. Yeah, yeah, moths are a it has, it has been mothballed, both literally and... Metaphor. If, actually, I don't think it, I did used to put mothballs in. Yeah. But there's such a disgusting smell. I got rid of them. They are horrible. Yeah. And I just think, let the moths have something to eat. What's the problem? Because they'll take over your whole life. Do you know what I mean? It's letting this thing. You yeah, a couple of cute little moths. Fine. People make such a fuss. Like I don't know, the the slugs eat the hostas. Right. Yeah. Like the hosta is a massive meal for the slugs mm. let them eat it yes let them have some what does it matter but how far are you going to go with this would you this live and let live attitude towards pests would it extend to rats for example not so much i'm not so i used to have rats in my loft okay and it used to it was rather creepy and horrible and i used to hear them scratching because they were trying to get somewhere warm yeah. they were scratching right above the ceiling so i was asleep and it felt like they were right there above me scraping away I wasn't also, so keen on that. No, but they've turned up at your house. They've heard about the sweet deal that the moths and the slugs are getting. They think this guy's a pushover. And then they're locked out in the attic. I know. And, One and, rule for them. And then the, the rats also got all the way along. They got into other people's houses from my house because mm. it's a terraced house. And then everyone was blaming everyone else for how the rats were getting in. And I was saying it's much more likely in this other person's house because <laughs> they had a thing with the eaves and it could get in that way. Yeah, you were rat shaming them because yes. you knew the truth. Yeah, and then I had to have my passageways probed professionally. Okay. By experts with a camera to probe them. It was like a fixed fee, but it took them quite a lot of longer to do than they thought. It was technically more difficult. Yeah. And it took actually several hours. It was supposed to be just like an hour, but it took a few hours for them to do it because it was quite complicated. So in a way, I felt like I'd got you know value for money. It, well, it sounds like you did, yeah, yeah. But, um, but it didn't really matter. When, it, when it's a huge amount of money or whatever, you just got to stop thinking about it as money, really. It's I mean, it's a, a bit concept. like, it, let's say you pay £50 for a meal yes. in a restaurant, and if you have a really good meal and then you're violently sick afterwards with food poisoning and you bring it all up, 
So this is a very but interesting... But you've got but good value for money. As an interesting metaphorical point, it's like if you've brought the meal up again, you haven't really absorbed it into you, no. have you? It's nutrients aren't in you anymore. Have you got value for money? Yes, I think you have. Whereas if you have paid £50 for a not very good meal that was just forgettable, and then you were also sick and brought it all up, you haven't got as good value for money as the person who ate the oysters, the caviar, yeah. the lobster and all that. I so mean, You're saying with a meal, you're, you're paying for the... F- for the flavour and the texture, everything else is um, by the by, basically. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yes, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's better if you don't yeah. throw it up. But that's it's, what I always say. But, you know, <laughs> that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, the, it's the meal, the occasion. Yeah, and then if you get to keep it in your body, all the better. Exactly. Yeah. Well, shall we move on to our third location? Keep walking? Yes. That sounds good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, it looked nice in there. It looked very nice. Yes, it was, it was nice in there. It was a shame in a way that we were in a little side bit on our own and that we didn't have anything to drink or talk to anyone. Well, yeah, they put us like lepers. It was nice of them to let us in. It was. They took pity on us. And now we're out again in the, onto the streets of Fitzrovia. Uh, I have to ask, are you, you know, talking about pests, would you count yourself as a friend of the foxes? Well, the foxes, I do have, a, there's a few live near my house, and I sort of say hello sometimes when I go, and they're quite, they're very bold. They just literally walk past. If I'm sitting outside my house and they walk past and I just say hello, and they just actually just stop. Yep. They don't say hello because they can't talk, but they literally just stop and look at me and I say, hello, how are you today? Yeah. And they sort of look at me and then they just go off. Well, that's saying hello in a sense. They think you can't talk, probably. They're probably, yeah. So, but what I'm not so keen on is um, the stuff they do in the garden, which is absolutely disgusting. Oh, I see, yeah. Effluence. Effluence. Then you get this thing of they do one, then the cats do one to kind of show... It's not the most sophisticated thing is, I mean... I mean, sometimes people say, oh, humans aren't very sophisticated. In a way, we're not very sophisticated. In a way, we still live with war all around the world, conflict, people are angry, and there's so many issues people have, all that sort of stuff. Yes. But on another level, you think, well, we are. If you compare it to, like, in my garden, a fox does a crap there, and then then the cat has to do one to show that it can also do one marking its territory. I've just done a shit. Oh, oh I'm the fox. I've done a shit near where your, your shit was, but to show that I'm also, and then the cat does one. It's not very sophisticated. We don't do things like that, do we? Well, not at the moment, but how far away from that do you think we, you know, give it a couple of years, if things go particularly badly for the human race, I can imagine it's, us being back in that sort of a mindset again one day. I mean, it's possible, but I mean, I... I mean, I can't see it. I mean, we were just in that very rarefied, posh hotel. I mean, I can't see any of those people. <laughs> I can't see that any of those people are just going to walk away now having just done a shit on the chair. I mean, I mean, I, I would be, I would yeah. go so far as to say yeah. that in that hotel we were just in, yeah. that in the lose, I, I don't think there would even have been even one time 
when yeah. someone just did a shit and didn't flush. A single person has never done that there? No, they would always, those people, they flush. We're going past a few of the high, like the post office where I used to go and buy stamps. Oh, nice. That was one of my jobs, someone was buying stamps in those days when they were all just like physical things. More plan, which is um, like um, all like office stationery. More like, plan on Great Titchfield Street. Yeah, I used yeah. to go in there to buy stationery for the office and like a load of ring binders and things like that. I mean, I remember one time, it was all so exciting. I love stationery, I still love it. Yes. And I'd sort of go and buy like a proper ring binder with all the little plasticky things that went in and maybe like a smart sort of foldery thing that had a little elastic thing that kept it closed. And, yes, And I yes. think, oh, this is my things with a little notebook that went in it <laughs> for me to make notes. Yeah, the order is nice, isn't it? Well, this is a very strange window display. If you had to describe this. Yeah, this is not at all what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, it's, um, there, there seems to be lots and lots of coat hangers and, and shopping baskets. And a huge... And, ne and nets. And a surfboard. It's a seat. Oh, let's try it, and make sense of this. It's all about um, not using, uh, making too much plastic waste. So instead of displaying their wares, which yeah. would be ring binders, um, the plastic thing that you put things inside and that opens and that has holes down the side of it. That is plastic, the technical term, yes. The plastic thing with the holes down the side of it where you put things in, as well as, of course, the plastic thing that you. It's <laughs> a totally separate thing, it's the plastic thing that looks like paper but is actually laminated with plastic that you put in between things but you can't put things in it. That is also its name. And, and also occasionally the plastic thing that you can't put things in to it yes. but it is see-through <laughs> and you can put it in between things to separate things from each other. Is that the only function the last one has, is to separate things? Separate things but you can see through it. Okay, yeah. So you could say, oh well that separated that but Looking through, I can see what's in the next bit. Oh, it's the uh, accounts of the uh, final third quarter. Mm. And then, oh, in the next bit, that's the sales figures for the yeah. first quarter. I don't need quarter. to access it yet. I can just I can see through the, through the separator. It's through the plastic. It's through the plastic. And, of course, there has the holes down the sides, which is designed for the standard ring binder, yeah. but also for the lever arch file, which has the things in a slightly different position so oh. it can also do that so yeah. the point i was making is that's a long way of saying yes that that's all plastic all the <laughs> things they sell are made of plastic yeah but ironically they have a thing to t explain to you why we should use less plastic yes and there's there's a sort of surfboard thing yeah with netting around it i don't know what that means it's just as if someone has got someone's captured a surfer or someone a surfer's been swept to their death and the You've attached a very grim narrative to the surfer. We think he might have come a cropper by getting too close to the recycled plastic baskets. Yeah, or uh, it might have been that, uh, you know, he died, but was himself recycled. Oh. And, and has been made into... Plastic. Plastic. <laughs> so you're sort of, um, you're going through the, maybe you're at the important board meeting. You say, yes, I just want to appraise you of the quarterly sales figures are very encouraging. We're looking at 2.5% growth. Let me give you those figures. And you sort of open up the plastic thing and they say, this looks like a bit of a finger stuck, on, <laughs> stuck onto, the, onto that ring binder. And you say, yes, well, it was made from uh, Johnny. Johnny, unfortunately, yeah. succumbed to the waves. But you say, do you know what? If you want your recycled plastics, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. And Johnny was the eggs. Yes. And then they say, we want to drill down into the detail of the 2.5% sales figures and you say well 
we really need to look at the import and export separately. And as you pull out something from the folder, there's like screaming, it's <laughs> blood comes out and there's like a bit of Johnny's pancreas comes out and it's all rotten and it's disgusting. And they're like, this is, this is appalling. Like, this is supposed to be a, a professional meeting. And it's just, and then it's, well, it's all just... Yeah, it's the, the grim reality of recycling. Yeah. Then you say, look, look, I'll tell you what, you open like a big case. Yes. Uh, and you say, look, in the, this case, I've got all my um, samples, yeah. I've got my samples from my sales. And you open it up, it's all just guts all pours <laughs> out. You've, you've taken the wrong bag with you. It's just Johnny's it's, uh, viscera. Yeah, because what you really are, what you really are is pretending to be a salesperson selling recycled plastic stuff but you're also a murderer who's <laughs> tricked johnny into going out saying oh yes you're going to be picking up bits of plastic yes for the project saving the world you're going to save the planet but actually he was not saved he so you're died. saying johnny didn't succumb to the waves you're saying the salesman in this situation is you uh, have actually this, taken johnny's life i'm in this hypothetical situation, yeah. for legal reasons, <laughs> for legal reasons, I'd like to point out this is a hypothetical situation. Yes. Yes, I am a salesman yep. who's a purportedly selling recycled plastic stuff, but yes, I admit it, <laughs> I, I did encourage Johnny to go out on his surfboard. I was uh, disguised as a, as a mermaid, <laughs> and uh, yes, I... By the way, I'm just blindly following this man. I don't know if he yes, knows I think where... we're going the right way. We are, we are going the right way. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, Silly me to doubt. I know this is my area. Well, this we, is my... I love this area as well. And yeah, well, you say that, mm. and that really irritates me because you say that, but you obviously don't. You don't know the area. You don't know where we're going. You, you weren't even sure we were going the right direction. And you say, yeah, I love this area, trying to sort of curry favour with Ingratiate me. Ingratiate myself. And, and to sort of make it sound like, yeah, I'm engaged in this as well. Yes, it's all part of... That is but a, you're not. a very unkind reading of, of, of my comment. I think it's, it's valid that I would like the area and yet not know where this next place was. Yeah, that's okay. Fair enough. I, yeah. I really... No, I was too harsh on you. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to be. And in forgiven. fact, I'm the one now who has instead of creating a, an atmosphere of bonhomie and goodwill, it's become ultimately hostile. Hostile, and I, <laughs> I have sacrificed goodwill. Yes. For the sake of making a petty point, I accept that, and I accept that. Obviously, my chances of ever being invited back on this podcast have obviously evaporated. I mean, that's no, no, no. I think um, if we get more sponsorship, more money. Oh, yes, sky's the limit. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to be the money. That's it's gonna, the money. Yeah, know, and, and you're going to say, that bastard, I really didn't get on with him, you know. He was through gritted teeth. But he was horrible, but he did. We've got sponsors loved him. Yeah, the sponsors said, look, if you get Paul Foot back on, you're going to get a Ford Focus. Yes. And you're going to think to yourself, I'm going to get a free Ford Focus. I can't drive, you, but it'll be useful. Yeah, I mean, you could just sell it or whatever. And you're yeah. going to just think, it's a Ford Focus. Yeah. But it's, it's two hours with a disagreeable <laughs> man with the arguments, but it's worth it for a car. Yeah. It's worth 15 grand, you know. Well, we've just arrived outside of our third yes. location. And Pierre Dottet is my favorite restaurant. And you, could, you barely notice it, because it's very, like a lot of these very posh restaurants, very yeah. understated. The frontage is yes. quiet. Very quiet. Yeah. Pierre, is it, it's a French restaurant, I presume, because the yes, French, French name. Yes, We're just walking past the Michelin 2023 just touch it with my hands. There we are, yeah. In we go. Hi. Good Hi there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? Yeah, very yes. well, thank you. Very well. There we go. Thank you very much. 
Yeah. Um, what is it about extremely high quality, beautiful restaurants that you like? Uh, value for money. Okay. Because I always think you get the best value for money in either very good restaurants that are expensive, but you get very good food. Mm. For you pay more. Whether you it pay stays in you or out, or out yeah. afterwards. But you, you get very good food for uh, not a bad price. Yeah. When you think what you're getting, which is incredibly good food. Mm. You also get good value at the low end when you have just a cheap, very cheap meal. How low are we talking? The lowest? Yeah, sort of. Uh, Roadkill. Roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even worse, you know, Pizza Hut. Yeah. <laughs> Where you get the worst value is in that middle ground. The sort of The sort of Café Rouge, okay. these chains, these sort of... You pay quite a lot. It's not cheap. No. And you don't get... You get a forgettable meal. Mm. So you would pay twice as much in here, or maybe three times as much, but you'll get a meal that's much better than twice or three times as good. Yes. It'll be a fantastic meal. Would you sooner just not eat than go to some middling place that's very expensive? Would you be that bothered by your own hunger, or would you just shrug it off? Well, I, w I mean, I wouldn't come to a place like this all the time because it's probably not the healthiest. I mean, they, they, they do a lot of work to make the food absolutely delicious. Yes, yeah. But they're not, it's probably not designed for you to eat like that every day. You'd be know? taking in a lot of butter, I yeah, imagine. I mean, when I've had meals in places like this before, and they're normally kind of tasting menus, and you have several courses, and they're quite small each course, but it gradually builds up until you're completely full. Mm -hmm. But there's so much butter and all sorts of stuff. It's very good food. It's very rich, oh, it's yeah. full of nutrients. I often don't eat for 24 hours afterwards because yes. I've just got so much. I just, like my body's just saying, yeah, great. I've all the nutrients all are there. All yeah. those nutrients. Now, I remember one time in here, because we're going to have champagne, mm. and one thing you might know about me or might not know, it has come out into the public a bit, which is a good thing, mm. is that I've never burped. I knew this, and I was going to ask about it. First thing, how's it going? Have you learned to burp at all? Not yet. No, I, have, I, have, I, can't, I haven't. I'm going to have a, a thing where they can to put Botox into my... Into your throat? Into my throat. To allow it to do when, a normal human burp? When I say they, it sounds like <laughs> some, some sort of charlatans. It's yes. a highly qualified ear, nose and throat consultant. Okay, yeah. Surgeon is going to do it. But, and it's supposed to then relax it. And although Botox only lasts a few months, it disappears after a few weeks or something. Mm. It, it, in about 90% of cases, does something that just relaxes it permanently. And then, if, if necessary, it can be done a second time. So, But so far, I haven't had that done because... It might affect the voice, and I obviously it's important for my job. Mm. So I have to find a time when I'm not working for two weeks. So it's all taking a bit of a while to do. So, but well, I mean, that's an I think it's a whole second, a whole second act for you. Yes, as a but, burping man. But we're about to have the champagne. But one time I was in here with it was a very nice person who was the head of Paramount Comedy at the time. We came here one time, I remember, and it was ever such a, you know, because I can't burp. There's all the champagne, <laughs> and and the rich. Yeah, you know. that must be painful. And and so I'll just explain this first. So people who can't burp, they all have different methods. Some of them just get it all stuck and they're just in pain. No some fun. of them it comes out the bottom end, mm -hmm. and some of them have to put their fingers down their throat. And but in my case, I sort of have to go to the loo, and and it's a huge sound comes out of me. Mm. It sounds like I'm throwing up. I'm not, but it sounds like that. It's and almost. It's, 
Well, when you've described it, it sounds sort of like a, a super burp. Yeah. Like well, it's... But it sounds, it's more like a wretch. It's a r- yeah. very violent sound. Because <laughs> I, I haven't burped, so it's yeah. a very violent thing. Yeah. It must feel fantastic. It feels great because then it's just, I've released all the air. Yeah. Wow. But obviously what I'd like to be able to do is burp and mm. just, just let it just out gradually, either completely silently. You can do silent burps, apparently. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah. I've never done a burp, either silent or non-silent, mm. so I don't know, etc. Anyway, so I was having this meal and it was all lots of courses, all the richness of the food, all the wine, it's all in there, all that. And so at the end of it, I'm just so full. And then we, we, we've had a lovely meal and we come out, we're just literally outside where we were just now when mm. we were coming in. And um, I say, well, I'll be off anyway, you know, because I'm desperate for this release. I'm all full and I know there's going to be this huge sound is going to come out. Yeah. And I just need to let the air out. And she doesn't know about this. In fact, I didn't even, at the time, I didn't even realise this was because I couldn't burp. Do you think all people did that? It was only when one time when uh, a conversation with a friend who said oh, something about burping, and then I said, what is burp? Because <laughs> I'd never done a burp. I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. So I thought this was something to do with I was taking too much air in as I was speaking, that I was sort like of... Like you were, you were eating I was too fast, eating maybe. Eating too fast, or it was something to do with the way my stomach worked. I didn't understand what it was. Yeah. All I knew was this thing happened to me. So anyway, we're outside and I'm saying, oh, I'll be off now. And she said, oh, no, no, oh, um, we, we can walk together. We can walk to the Paramount offices and that's on your way anyway. And I'm saying, oh, no, but you've got your bicycle, so uh, you, you'll just want to go separately. No, 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 it's no problem. I can wheel the bicycle with you. And I was just thinking, please, please. And she just, she was You know the noise is imminent. Uh, and then, and then, and she just paid for this really expensive meal. And I was just right outside the restaurant. And then suddenly I just went, <laughs> <laughs> this massive noise and she was like so shaken like a yeah. bicycle almost fell over yeah and and there's nothing you can say you can't I mean what can you say well we've just had the the food gently placed down in front of us do you want to explain what we're looking at yes well we're having it some some canapes we've got uh, mortadella you're not mortadella you know you get from the Tesco value range very much not no it's very much made in house by top mortadella mm. expert with all the pistachio nuts in and looks beautiful a mortician a mortician and then there's it's a, like an eggshell isn't it and there's a thing inside it that i can't even remember what the lady said but it was like something delicious with oregano in it or something and yes some yeah, sort yeah. of mousse and then there's a take on fish and chips which is it's only like a, these are canapes so this yeah. is a it's a potato chip very crisp and thin seafood powder yeah and it's got little flowers on and it's got smoked trout roe well that is very well remembered i hear that kind of stuff and find it very hard to recall and you did an, an absolutely brilliant job you fumbled the egg a little bit yeah i've forgotten what the egg was but yeah. i did it pretty well did it pretty well yeah well cheers cheers let's eat Well, that was a very delicious meal. Uh, a spectacular yes. lunch. As I say, the, the quality of the food, it's, uh, it's a lot better than um, Bella Italia, isn't it? It is, but I feel bad about sort of um, denigrating other places. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. It, is, it is better. Pierre-Terre, it um, is, top of the food chain. Is, is at the top of the chain, yeah. I reckon it probably is. In fact, it isn't a chain. It's no, it's a standalone. It's a standalone. It's a standalone. It's just it's a standalone. one. It's just its own thing, you know. And are you are you absolutely adamant as well that you didn't choose it because it has the word Pierre, which yes. is foot, at the foot. start of the name, 
Obviously, your name no, is no, no I connection. Suppose, I, no, I didn't really think of it like that. Actually, <laughs> I looked it up. Pierre Dater means it means like a little, little bolt hole, little, a little, you know. Oh right, yeah. You know, you know when one's really rich, someone. Yes. And you just have a, just a little place in um, Provence, in, 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 in Provence, isn't? It? Just got a little. Just a little place in New York. <laughs> Sometimes I'm over in New York, just a little, little place. Is that would be your your choice of bolt hole would be New York, maybe? Well, uh, no, I'd like to have one in uh, Sydney. I like Sydney. Sydney's good, yeah. But I don't have a bolt hole. I only have, well, just a hole. Just a hole. That's, that's where I live. Standard hole. Yeah, the thing is, people that have bolt holes probably don't want the world to know about their bolt holes because it's where they go to get away from it all. So you may have a portfolio of bolt holes that we're not even aware of, and it should well, be kept that way yes, as well. Yes, in, in many ways, what I'm saying could be a... I get confused between a bluff and a double bluff. But anyway, <laughs> one of those, it could be that actually I do have a, a series of bolt holes. Yes. If I were to deny having a bolt hole, that's a bluff, isn't it? That would be a bluff, but yeah. If, if I said, I've got loads of bolt holes and you think, <laughs> no, he's lying. That's either a double bluff. Then that's a double bluff. Or, or a grotesque boast. Yes. One or the other. One or the other, yes. Well, we've just arrived extremely quickly at our fourth location. Yes. Do you want to say where we are? Uh, it's, uh, it's the Wheat Sheaf. It's a pub. It's quite old, as you can see, very old windows and stuff. And Dylan Thomas used to drink here, mm -hmm. and George Orwell did. It's got a lot of history. Mm. And this is the venue where I've probably done more shows in this place than any other place. Because comedy goes back years here. There used to be a thing called Guilty P that went back maybe 30 years before I even started. So I used to do gigs then. And then there was uh, other, some other yeah. incarnations. And then there was someone called Ivan Stewart, the comedy referee, and he ran a comedy night here and I used to perform in it nearly every week. This and is where Shire Horses really took flight. This is where Shire Horses took flight and yeah. then after that it was the 99 Club and mm. I was the resident headliner on a oh. Saturday night. Amazing. And we used to do more than one show, like two most nights. So I did that for years and years. This is where you got your 10,000 hours in. Yes and your then and now Hamburg. I do my secret shows in here. So oh. I've done hundreds and hundreds of shows in here. Well, they won't be secret after you've just said it on air. They've got a new carpet indoors. They do have a new carpet. We're entering the wheat sheaf now. It's lovely inside. This is where my stage is over here, where I perform. Paul is gesturing at a large empty space. And I've actually brought with me, because I thought it could be interesting. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, my goodness. This is my book, and it doesn't normally come out of the house. And it's a book of every single show I've ever done. Wow. Uh, which I'm lucky because some people, they, they get to sort of 100 gigs and then they sort of think, oh, it's too late. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, and they haven't kept a note of it. And then they think, oh, I'd like to have kept a note, but I didn't. But I have every single one. This is my first one. This is beautiful. I feel quite nervous approaching it. Like it's a sort of religious text, maybe. So it starts 7th of February, 1993, my very first one. That's the beginning there. Yes, and there's a few things that get sorted out later, like when I did things with other people I used to put those separately okay yeah then I later incorporated it into the numbering system and also like television and things like that they also get all, yeah. they go in if it's a live audience then I right. count it as a live performance a performance although that's not necessarily stand-up but anyway that's how I do it is there anything that indicates on the page how well uh, or not well a particular performance nothing, went? Nothing at all. That's one of the things I quite like about it, is mm. that there's no record in a strange way. Like, for example, if I go here to the end, I've done about eight shows 
So this is the most recent one? Yeah, there's 5,072 we're up to. I know it sounds silly, but I like the fact that it doesn't say how it went or what's going on. No, you've not scored it or anything. Do you ever stumble across one of them and just something in your memory goes, that was a good one? Yeah, sometimes I think, oh, that's a good one or that was a tricky one. Yeah. Oh, Walton on Thames, I think that was a terrible one. I have a vague recollection. What was terrible about it, do you think? I think someone was heckling and it was Mm. really unpleasant. You must have fielded your fair share of heckles in this very room. Oh, yes, loads. I think non-comedians are obsessed with heckling because they wouldn't know what to do in that sort of a situation. That's probably the the most common question I'm asked, which is always, oh, how do you deal with hecklers? I suppose that people think that's the most frightening thing. Yes. You know, people's only experience of public speaking normally is like best man speech or presentation at work. And the idea that someone you're giving a best man speech would like look you in the eye and go, this is shit while you were doing it, I think freaks out. Uh, normal people like myself. Yes. Yeah. So let's ask the most common question. Do you have a sort of mode that you would go into with, with well, heckling? I mean, the answer is, uh, for a start now, with the things I do, going to do shows to my own audience, it's very unusual. Sometimes you might get someone who joins in in a fun way. Occasionally it might go over the line and it becomes a bit too much. But, you know, that's one thing. But actual heckling of people saying, taxi, uh, uh, your shit, mate, and all that. I mean, that's a, <laughs> it's a long... W- that's a pretty good heckle, to be honest. One has to go a long way back to, yes. to think when those were. I think the, your audience might sort of tear that person limb from limb with that to happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously what one aims to do in these situations is you get the audience on your side or they're already on your side and you turn them against this person or you just point out there's so many ways of doing it. Sometimes they can be quite helpful. I remember doing one in Belfast years ago and it was struggling. And then someone would say, oh, you're... You know, I think they did it deliberately. They sort of heckled me. Oh, it's rubbish or something or whatever they said. But I think they did it to help me because it did help because then I had a go at them and then the audience got on my side and it all turned around. It all, so it was a helpful heckle. Yeah, it all ended quite... Maybe and, you know, that's a lesson that I could learn. Maybe you could give me a helpful heckle now and it would sort of lift me to enhance my own performance. Your, sh- your, shit, your shit at editing. Okay. Your shit at the podcast. Yep. That's good, that's and, good. And, and you're, you're just generally hopeless as a person. I think I can, I can do this now. Yeah. So what, what I've done there is I, obviously I've temporarily broken you, yes. but I'm rebuilding <laughs> you. It, it's like going into the Marines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, at this stage in the proceedings, we like to sort of broaden our focus away from Fitzrovia in particular and talk about London uh, as a whole. But I want to ask you about things that you like in London, things that you would give your own five-star uh, rating to, if you Oh, could. yes. So, my first question is, do you have a five-star pint, and where would you drink it in London? Well, I think I've never been into pints, you know, like pints of beer. So, when I have one, it's always like like a craft one, and it's normally got, like, straw... Oh, it's got strawberries in it. I, I need, see. I need strawberries or lychees or passion fruit sort of flavouring in the beer that I could, so that I can appreciate it. Something sweet. Something sweet. And where would you drink your sweet beer? I think I'd drink it in here. Right here this in the Wheat This is such Sheaf. a great environment in here, and, uh, and it's just so... It is nice. And it's so old, and uh, I like it. Do you have a five-star tourist attraction? I think it would be the Monument. The Monument, yeah, OK. Yeah, because uh, no one... You know, people... I mean, everyone's heard of the Monument tube station, mm. but hardly anyone goes to it. And you have what? to walk all up all the steps. I'm ashamed to say I don't know what it's a monument to. Is it war dead? Uh, no, it's fire dead. 
Oh, okay. It's where the Great Fire of London started. Oh, okay. It's supposed to have started just right where the monument is. Okay, yeah. Do you often go there and think of all the people who perished? You know, yeah, I do. I think, <laughs> I think of those people in 1666. Yeah. Just 600 years after 1066. Yeah, yeah. And I think they would have probably been thinking, yeah, 1066. Think of all the war dead from 1066. But we're all right, 600 years later... There's no danger to us, we're fine. Yeah. Yeah, 600 years ago, there was this terrible Battle of Hastings. Long in the past. Yeah. It's 1666. It's a happy time. Mm. 1665, not so good, the plague. Mm. We got through it. It's all fine. Suddenly, a fire starts up. Well, not just any fire. The Great Fire yeah. of London. To me, the greatest fire. Yeah, I mean, it is the best one that there's ever been in London, isn't it? Yeah, possibly the world as well. Uh, what is your five-star tube station? Five-star tube station, I think, would be Regent's Park. Mm. Hardly anyone ever goes there. And you can go up the stairs, which is good exercise. There are lifts, but I like to go up the stairs. It's good exercise. And it says, this has 148 stairs or whatever it is. Use only in an emergency. I like that. It's not an emergency. I mean, I want to exercise my heart. Also, it's like a challenge being issued by the station to you, saying, don't do this, Paul. Yeah. And you say, don't tell me I'm, what to do. I'm doing it. I'm absolutely I'm going go. up those stairs. Yeah. And also, if you're on the tube station, and if you're going to Marylebone Station mm-hmm. from Oxford Circus, you can get on and stay near the doors. And everyone thinks, that's silly. Why is that man staying near the doors? But then you come into Regent's Park, they think, that's silly, he's blocking the doors to Regent's Park. What they don't know is that no-one ever gets on or ever gets off, so you're not really blocking it. Then what they don't know is that when you draw into Baker Street, it's the opposite doors, Mm. so you're not in the way, you see. And then what they don't know is that when you come into Marylebone, you just turn around and and you're at the right doors. Do you turn and give them a little wink as you go? As if to say, I know what you were thinking. You You thought I didn't know what to do. I knew exactly where to stand. Exactly. And you moonwalk off the tube carriage, giving a little salute as you go. Okay, well, what is your five-star park in London? Five-star park? Maybe uh, sort of like St. James's Park, mm. near, near there, which is not many people go to that park, and it's sort of that, that amazing view over to, like the, is it the, like, the foreign office or something? And it looks like a kind of castle. I was literally going to say the same thing. I know the exact view you're talking about. It looks like you're in Disney World Yeah, it something. looks like Disney World. It looks, like, so fantastical. The first time I saw that, I remember just standing there thinking, what the fuck is that? It yeah. looks so unlike anything else in London. And it's sort of framed by the trees yeah, above a lake. It's framed by the trees, and you've got all of that Westminster there, and you get it just at the right angle, and it looks like some fantasy world. It's amazing, so yeah. I like that. Do you have a five-star venue? Sometimes I go to the cinema, and I go to that cinema that's on Shaftesbury Avenue. No, not Shaftesbury, whatever that's... I can't remember. One of the streets. One of the streets of London. (laughs) (laughs) Just uh, 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 not far from Chinatown, the other side. Probably Shaftesbury. The Curzon Cinema. The Curzon, yes. And it's got all... has all sort of very sort of strange artistic things on, like not the normal films. It no, shows no, you walk in there with a sense of smugness and superiority. Not for me, the multiplex. Yes. I, will, I will have a glass of red wine and watch this impenetrable modern art house film. It's normally quite impenetrable. Once I went there with a, uh, a boyfriend, but things were going through a bit of a rough patch. So I thought, well, if we go to the cinema, we could maybe, you know, mm. a couple of things might happen. You know, you know. Maybe that's not the cinema for that, I would suggest. But Well, it wasn't, on. because... We watched this film and it was Bjork, who's that singer in Iceland, it was acting. And it was all about how 
Bjork, the character she was playing, was blind, mm. and she was ac- accused of a murder she hadn't done, and she was framed for it, and she had a daughter who relied upon her, and then it was all just got worse and worse, and in the end she was hanged mm. for the things she'd never done. It was so depressing. And there was never, not one time in the whole film was there a moment just, just to put my, even just to put my hand... Well, you know, in the on, vicinity. In the vicinity of, of his hand. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's all I was going to do. I wasn't going to go further than that. And I understand that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It wouldn't have even have felt appropriate. The mm. thing was absolutely relentlessly... He'd have looked at you with utter horror in his eyes. Well, Paul, thank you very much for our wonderful day out. I oh, hope yes. you've had as much fun as I have. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Are you talking to me? Uh, at oh, the yes, moment, yes, I yes, am, yes, yes, yeah. yes. That was another one of your famous heckles. What, are you talking to yeah, me? Yeah, you're talking <laughs> to me. And I also feel buoyed by it. Yeah, I love that expression, are you talking to me? Like when people don't like someone and then, then someone addresses them. Are you talking to me? Yeah, it's, like, a, it's a good one. I really don't like you. <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which is what, exactly what you just did to me as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. To yeah. help to break you down, but to rebuild you. When does the rebuilding start, by the way? You know, it's, it's negotiable. Obviously. Oh, God. I'm going to remain broken down for you the disabled. You pay me quite a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That was Paul Foote's wonderful, charming Fitzrovia. I had a great day with him. This place is like very, very special to me. I grew up walking around these streets a lot and it's amazing to think he was probably working his first job back there, going and buying stationery, being slightly obsessed with different types of filing and plastic sheets uh, when I was here as well. It was uh, wonderful to hear his reminiscences. And if you want to see him do his thing, and I strongly suggest that you do, check out Dissolve which is his new show. It's currently at the Soho Theatre, but by the time you listen to this, it'll be wrapping up there, and he'll be touring it all over the UK for absolutely ages, no doubt coming to wherever you are, apart from the two weeks where he's hopefully going to take a bit of time off to get his throat Botoxed to allow him to burp like a normal boy, which is what we all want. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please give us a five-star rating. Please leave a review if you can. Until next time. Love thyself, love thy neighborhood. Cheerio.